0: Snuff Production. Market. The s The ISX. Stops. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag.
1: Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special mailbag edition. Now, our Sunday episodes are always special. They're special because they're Sunday. They're special because they're mailbags. They're normally special because Ram's here with me. It's just extra special because he's found a way to make himself available despite <laughs> having the dreaded lurgy, the rona, the spicy cough. He's actually... Dragged himself out of his bed by his fingernails up to the microphone. He's here, Mr. Page. G'day. Where's Where's my medal? <laughs> well, maybe not medal just yet, but I, mate, I, statue. I, honestly, honestly, <laughs> he is he is crook. So, mate, I th- thank you for making the effort. We did. Uh, we didn't think about what do we do if we don't have this. And our producer, a link who does our audio stuff, said, uh, "Oh, maybe you can do one yourself." I'm like, "Oh, that's probably not going to be great." It's it's hard. Hard. As a, yeah. as a solo act, I'm much better as a part of a duo. Uh, with about replaying some episodes, some other things. So. I am mostly just excited that Ram made it to the microphone, mate. Thank you. I, I, I just I know it's not you know we're not uh, we're not digging holes or putting holes on roofs, but I appreciate it, mate. Thank you for uh, making yourself available and doing what you could. Uh, we did have to delay the recording, but it was it was awesome. So thank you for doing that.
0: Hey, look, I'm happy to do it. I got to tell you, even in the last hour since we spoke before, I'm feeling a lot better. It's it's funny. Um, on the way down, it's like mm. oh, throat's a little bit sore. It's nothing, you know. T- um and then like 24 hours later i was like oh you know <laughs> looking up Death coffins up. on on amazon you know <laughs> and, and just good ones? Yeah, no no oh, mate you can bury me in a cardboard box if my, i've said to my wife if you spend any money on my funeral i will come back and haunt you there is nothing the final
1: dignity yeah you know
0: or if you're gonna spend some money shoot me into space you know spock style or something
1: make, make it interesting you know um, i like but, it i like it yeah, you're a burial or cremation kind of guy
0: uh, I'm, I'm carve me up send send my uh, like if there's any anything yeah. inside me that I haven't destroyed in my life then you know and they're gonna like give it to someone else and then do what you like really like uh I think Seinfeld said it best the fact that we put pillows in coffins show that we really do <laughs> misunderstand death
1: <laughs> I've always said Funerals are for the for the living, not for the dead. Uh, yeah. I, you, you're right there, mate. I, I, I'm, I'm after Friday. Maybe maybe science might want to look at your bile duct. Is that, is that possible? Maybe there's just a little bit there to be, uh, to, to, be to be investigated, to be to be dissected and, and reviewed. Is that is that possible?
0: Oh, it's a very very a lot of bile. Yeah, a lot of yeah a lot of a lot of fuel. Really, that's a kind of yeah. stuff that, that keeps you going. So yeah.
1: Speaking, of which, you said you're feeling better over the last hour. I'm I'm still relatively sure it's because you got to tee off at Tim Gerner on Friday. I, I, <laughs> I think that's going to sustain us right through this episode, maybe for a couple of hours. You may come down again this afternoon, but uh, I reckon we're I reckon we're good for this this hour or so. You, it's just the, the spark you needed to, to keep you going. It did help.
0: It did help for sure. Good, good. <laughs>
1: now, man, I did let you off the hook on on Friday, uh, but but that's left me with a weekend of just uncertainty, doubt. Uh, I, I haven't really been able to sleep. I haven't been able to concentrate. I just I just trying to work out what straw man is, and I, I just I I really felt like I I missed a trick on Friday. I didn't have the chance to ask you. I thought I'd give you a break, but it, uh, it wasn't worth it, mate. It's been, it's been a miserable weekend. While I've tossed and turned, I couldn't sleep. It's been awful. Would you Would you help me?
0: Would you help me out? Yeah, I have to, I have to really have a, some serious words with the um the the people who come up with our corporate positioning because it's it's clearly not <laughs> not clear. Um, we're an online private investment
1: club. Is that right? Yeah. Mate, the four people that work in your PR team really should have a good hard look uh, at themselves. I know, I know. I'm going to be having serious words with them, don't you worry. You're going to have to. You're going to have to. I should have got that by now. Uh, mate, speaking of which, um, uh, Willow did uh, message me after last week and say it was the best straw man intro ever. And I paused deliberately because he put a full stop after each word. <laughs> I must have been pretty good. So look, I'm just, I'm just saying that the, the people love it. The people love it. Uh, <laughs> speaking of feedback too, before we get into the proper questions, we did get a a, 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 a message back from Mr. M. After the kids uh, last week, we, we kind of uh, answered their question about uh, what we should uh, what we should do with the money. Uh, a public school it was, which is which is cool. He just said the kids got a huge kick out of being on a famous podcast. You should have seen their faces. Can I say, kids, if you're still listening, thank you. Uh, when when Mr. M let me know that, it also made my week. I'm sure it made Rams' week as well. 100. Um, if we can if we can do a little bit of good stuff and that sort of thing, that's why we're frankly here for. Other than the fact, you know, Ram and I can just talk to each other for an hour, not record it. Uh, we're recording because we hope we can help some people. And if, if that helps, kids, if you if you enjoyed that, if it was useful, um, then then super super cool. Uh, by the way, Ram, uh, the other bit of uh, response from Mr. M, he says I just got a message from the other teacher, Miss B. She's pretty happy. She can keep the coffee. Thanks, Ram. Ah, <laughs> uh, you're welcome. Hey, it's there the small things in life, right? Like, You've made Miss a little. little yeah. Just, just quietly, if if you're a teacher, you deserve the coffee. <laughs> I'm also, yeah. oh, yeah. generally, little things, but specifically, uh, you deserve all the coffees. You can have Miss B. So, thank you to Mister and Miss B for uh, for listening and for and thank you for the kids for, for doing that too. I just wanted to share that because it's just kind of yeah, so awesome. you know. Again, for all for all the other stuff in finance, we can help help some kids uh, make their way through through this. Uh, financial uh, part of their lives, and then we're super, super happy to help.
0: It's pretty scary. I mean, it's so great that teachers are um, um, taking it on their own to sort of go deeper into these uh, topics. I I find it such a travesty that it's not more formally um, Mm. part of the curriculum. You know, of all the things that we learn and like a lot of very important stuff there, it just finance is so massively important. I'm not talking about like how to get rich or that kind of yes, nonsense, yeah, yeah. but you know, just how to navigate in, in the modern era. It's like without mm-hmm. really having a clear understanding of sort of money and saving and investing, it just seems like mm, there's a pretty big gap, you know? Mm-hmm. So just brilliant that, that um, teachers are taking it on their own to sort of go into that in, in more detail. It's they'll, I'm sure in like, you know, thirty years time, there'll be um, the next generation will be very fondly remembering those <laughs> teachers, and just saying, "Thank goodness, uh, you know, Mr. M and Co. which just sort of like laid that out for us because it, it it honestly would be, sounds a bit um, hyperbolic, yep. but life changing yep. kind of stuff, right? It's we we joked last yep. week about you know the Buffett laments about not starting early enough, even though we started <laughs> investing at eleven. You know, it's just yeah. it's just like it is so massively important, and I'm just I'm thrilled that there are there are people taking it seriously. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And kids, you'll, you'll, Mr. M, Miss B are looking after you. They'll, they'll set you right. Just, uh, the hardest part the thing for kids is to try and work out where to, where to share this information at a time in their lives where they can get it. So mm-hmm. kids, if you, if you already got it, then, um, uh, that's just unreal. So all of all us with that. Can I hear, hey, I hear one oh, other yeah. thing? I always say this yeah. as
0: well. I say, I, I know that we in traditional finance can have a bit of fun and laugh. There's a lot of stuff on YouTube, right? Mm-hmm. Even on TikTok um It oh. is just awful. awful okay. I'm glad you said that. Awful you go I going to say, oh, hang on. Go but on, yes. there is yeah. a but, but every now and again I see some stuff and go, it's just like a, a fairly young adult, you know, early 20s and just like laying mm-hmm. down some, like tr- dropping some truth bombs, as the kids say. Mm-hmm. And I just, they're like, oh, it gives me hope. You know, I was like, wow, these are people off their own bat on social media. Cutting through the noise and just laying out some really good advice, and just think there there yeah. is hope. You know, I, I'm I'm very optimistic for the for the future. And um, again, it's easy to focus on the people selling monkey JPEGs and all the other <laughs> nonsense that's out there, but there is there are a lot of young people that really do get it and and have got yep. some really great
1: channels out 100%. there. So yeah, you know, choose wisely. But if you find some good stuff, stick with it. Yeah, hundred percent hey mate let's get a question from john um this is a really important one you know sometimes you and i we, we do our best to try and break down the terms and the jargon and the rubbish that, that our, our industry likes to kind of carry on about largely because honestly jargon's useful because it kind of it, you know it's it's shorthand if you know yeah. if two people know what's going on it's easy to talk about yep. but it's also used to to keep people away from actually understanding and taking control of their own their own investment lives so we do try and do our best but sometimes we don't always get it right john said hi scott for listening to your podcast. When listening, you often talk about investing in ETFs. Can you tell me, are you talking about buying the ETF shares or putting money into a fund? I'm not looking for financial advice, just clarification. I just thought there was a you know it's a. I read the question, I'm like, oh man, like we have, we have not done a good enough job in, in being able to help our listeners understand what we actually mean by that mate. So I thought if you don't mind, I might ask you just to break down what an ETF actually is. And what happens when we buy, and I, I, I will say shares in the ETF because I want to use common language. They're not officially shares because mm. it's not a company. So it's mm. units. You buy units in a fund, you buy shares in a company. It's un- Again, it's, it's useful jargon because there is a s- distinct difference. And so they, it is worth using different language to be clear about these things. But for all intents and purposes, I don't want to confuse people any further. So when you buy units or shares in an ETF, what, what do you, what, why would you do it, I suppose? That's probably pretty easy. We've talked about that. But then mm. what, are you, what are you getting? What's, what's, the, what's the story?
0: Yeah. So um, people are familiar, probably more familiar with managed funds, right? So you give your money to a fund manager and they go off and invest that on on your behalf and you will get units in their fund. So they they break it up, the pizza up into lots of different slices and you get proportionally the amount that, that you invest into it, basically. Yep. Uh, an exchange traded fund, an ETF, is just that, except that it's it's listed and traded on the Australian Securities Exchange or whatever stock market uh, we're talking about here. And that has advantages because it means that I can I can buy into that fund and sell out of that fund in the same way I would buy and sell shares. It's much faster than, than it would be in the old days. You had to sort of yeah, fill out an application form with, yeah, you know, Colonial yeah. or whoever it was and... And then if you wanted your money back, there was this re- redemption process. There was a lot of paperwork and a lot of mucking around. So ETFs are just the same thing. It's like, hey, let's just trade these on the stock exchange. Um, so that's that's really the only difference. And when you're buying units or shares or whatever you want to call it, mm. you really are just buying that small component of of the larger whole. So let's say that there's a $100 million managed in this ETF mm. and that there is a, a million units representing it well then there's a hundred dollars for each unit that's all it is uh-huh. and so it's just allowing you to it, it, to to buy the amount that's relevant to you whether you want to put a million dollars into it or a thousand dollars into it you
1: you can um how's that very good i like it a lot um so yeah john when you buy units in the etf uh you are so the, the, the fund manager is different from the fund itself so i'll just, I'll just break that down quickly ram mm, um, yes Let's say there was let's say there was a uh, Motley Fool money investment fund uh, and you could buy units in what we invested in. Motley Fool money might be the manager Sorry, actually I'm not going to take it all back because this, this sounds like I'll, I'll get confused. Let's say the manager is Phillips and Page Incorporated and the fund is called the uh, exciting uh, Bitcoin Kogan fund. Uh, and and so when you buy shares when you buy units in the fund you're investing in the fund itself not the fund manager. Now they are normally the funds are given the title of the manager to make things really confusing. So I'm a big Vanguard fan. Uh, the Vanguard Global ETF, or Global Shares ETF, for example, is absolutely a, a Global Shares ETF run by Vanguard. But you're not buying shares in Vanguard the business or BlackRock or iShares or anybody else. So when you when you invest in the ETF, you are getting part of the fund itself. The fund manager takes a takes a fee uh, these days, which is awesome in these super big passive funds. The fee is tiny, tiny. But they so they get their they get their money from the fund itself. But you invest in the fund, which basically just entitles you to a proportional share, as Ram said, of the assets of that fund, which is in this case the shares that make up the ETF. If I said that, okay, Ram?
0: Yeah, yeah, and th- that's all it is. The other thing maybe worth pointing out too is that there are well, at least in Australia and the US, um, there are there are. Rules as to who owns those the underlying security. So the fund has gone yep. and put money into shares. Well, assuming it's a share ETF. Yeah. Um, but if if Page and Phillips the Proprietary Limited goes bust because mm-hmm. Phillips has run off to the Bahamas, you know, <laughs> flown, um, off. flown off, you've flown off. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the money is the money is or the assets are held in trust. So by we, a third party by a third party custodian. Mm-hmm. So we we manage it. We get paid for managing it, and, we, and for making the investment decisions. And if it's a passive fund, well, the decisions are just copy copy set index. Mm-hmm. But we do get we do get paid for that. But if we're derelict in our duty or dodgy or anything like that, those funds are held in trust, and you are you are protected.
1: Beautiful, nice clarification, John. I hope that helps. That really good question. Thank you. I, I'm going to just call on uh, your your comment regularly, Ram. Uh, you are, uh, I think, the person I've worked with who is least f- afraid to ask the dumb questions. Uh, and I, <laughs> I, no, sorry, I, said, I like I said how said you it.
0: frame it that way. but no, I'm, I'm actually
1: asking it because I'm
0: I'm I'm dumb. <laughs> no, 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 not at all.
1: Not at all. My, my point is, you ask the questions other people feel too f- afraid to ask because they don't want to seem silly, right? But hang on, I don't understand this thing. Can you just tell me about it? Most people are like, oh, well, I don't understand that. But if I ask, I'll look silly. So I'm just going to wait until I can kind of work it out or someone else asks the question or someone else. You know, it just makes, makes itself clear. Um, John, I, I think it's a really, really great question. Thank you for asking it. I, I say that, mate, basically because I want to ask the rest of our listeners, if the stuff we talk about you don't understand, it's yeah. us, not you. Um, our yeah. job is to break this stuff down. you know. And if we're not doing a good enough job, if, if we haven't been clear about what an ETF is, then I'm glad John asked. If you have other questions for us that are really simple questions, please ask them. Um, it'll take us five minutes to answer. You'll be helping not only yourself, but a whole lot of other people who are too scared or afraid or don't want to seem silly or don't want to bother us. Um, we actually want those questions because genuinely, as much as I said about the kids, we're here to help the whole of our listening community, right? If we're not helping you don't listen, there's better things to do with your time. And if oh, yeah. we, but, or if we're not helping, help us help you uh, by asking us those questions.
0: A-, a lesson I learned way too late in life was that not caring what other people think is a superpower. Like it really is. It just, I mean, it doesn't mean you just so want to is. be a, a really, uh, obtuse individual who goes about doing whatever the hell they want because <laughs> they don't, you know, be nice to people. By all, exactly. Yeah, you know, yeah. but, yeah. but don't, don't care what they think. Yeah. You know, I've got a, a boy who's, you know, a young teenager, and at that mm. stage of life, all you ah, care about is what other people totally. think. Totally, yeah. And it's just, it, it just, it, it's sort of, uh, it, it's a hindrance to everything too. And I, I kind of feel as like though the other great epiphany for me was that no one's thinking about you as much as you're thinking about you. So even when you do ask mm. a question, and <laughs> as you <laughs> know, I'm, I'm actually. the master at this. Right? And let's say it's like. Like just legitimately a dumb question, right? Mm. It's just like, oh gosh, you really should know better. People might go, huh, idiot. And then three seconds later, they're not thinking about it. They're thinking about themselves like we all mm. are, right? Mm. And so I just, I feel as though it's like you can struggle a while. If, you know, trying to figure things out on your own is way too hard, you know? People have People have figured out a lot. Over the great span of humanity, and mm. you know, don't ask, mm. and and mm. you won't you won't know. Just just put it out there, and if, yep. and, and yep. don't exactly. don't worry about it, right? Like I, and I, I can guarantee you this: that when you ask the quote unquote dumb question, <laughs> there's at least forty to fifty percent of people yep. in the room who go, "Oh, thank goodness you asked that," because I was yep. wondering yep. what that was as well. You know, <laughs> it's so true.
1: And, and can I? Here's, here's can another push. sorry.
0: Another thing that I find very very telling is that sometimes. And this is just me, maybe being a little obtuse. Is that sometimes <laughs> I do ask the dumb question, not because I don't know the answer, but because I want to mm. see if they know the answer. <laughs> this is
1: this is very handy when you're talking the old to rhetorical like, question. Yeah, yeah. yeah when goes.
0: you're talking to management, and they, yeah, you know, yeah. because too often people will, yeah, come back to you using to your point using jargon and very highfalutin kind of mm-hmm. language, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, break that down for me. I'm sorry, this is a dumb question, but can you explain what what that means? Now, if they're going to get super frustrated with you, well, that's actually interesting in yeah. an there's, there's a bit of signal that that's there. Or if they can't break it down, and you'd be surprised how often people hide behind big words where they're sort of like, it mm-hmm. probably makes a bit of sense if you understand all the jargon and that. But when you really push, you think you don't know what you don't know what you're talking about,
1: right? <laughs> exactly,
0: and it, it just it happens all the time, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and um. So true, man. Uh, Einstein, I think it was, who said, "If you can't explain any concept, you should be able to explain to a twelve-year-old." Right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to understand like the intricacies of general relativity, but you can understand the, the big, the big idea. Right? You can under, you, you can convey the so what at the at the base of it. I don't care whether it's string theory or you yeah. know quantum electrodynamics or any of these kinds of things. You can you can get that across. True understanding is an ability, I think, to break very complex things down and and explain it in in modern language. So I find that, just another angle on that is that sometimes it's really worth pushing and pushing just to get a very clear, straightforward answer because it, it is extremely telling, I wish, journalists would do it more often when when interviewing politicians in particular yeah, so and say true. so what do you mean by that yeah you know? absolutely right apologies for the dumb question but can you explain right. mm-hmm. i love was it mm-hmm. denzel washington in philadelphia he said explain to me like i'm a 10 year old yeah which is just such a great line and anyway I'm, I'm flogging the horse now but yeah
1: ask dumb questions and ask them all. yeah right. no that's a good point it's a good point i um peter lynch said you should never invest in anything you can illustrate with a crayon Yes. Same, oh, same kind gosh, of idea. So right? good. That's, so that's good. really... You know, a uh, tangent, um, <laughs> surprise. <laughs> that, I just think there is... I have two thoughts on that. One is don't mistake that for not doing the hard work. Sure. Not being able to illustrate something with a crown is not the same as if I don't understand it with 30 seconds effort, don't bother. Yes. They're very, very, very different things because what he's yes. saying is not don't look at anything you can't understand immediately. Yep. He's saying don't invest... In other words, the end of the process, not the beginning, if you can't illustrate it with a crowd. In other words, you've done the work and you still can't explain it, then fine, give it a miss. Yep. Not you shouldn't do the work. And I guess I say that, mate, because I kind of got two thoughts. The first was people want somehow complex because complex always seems better than simple. Yes. If it's complex, it must be better. It must be cooler. It must be more advanced. It must yep. be something. This is a, We have we have this thing where we, where we kind of mix up. You know, think about Buffett, right? He sits at a desk with a, maybe a computer in the corner of the room. Uh, you know, he couldn't tell you the first thing about computer networking. He's not investing in AI and whatever else. He's just saying, actually, if I do the right things right, it'll work. So don't don't confuse complexity with, with returns. Um, mm. We kind of like to feel like it's smarter somehow. But the, the other side of that is just that, that other point, which is also don't ignore what seems on the surface to be harder to understand or or outside your realm of experience if a little bit of work can actually get you there. But then still don't invest until you can invest, you can can illustrate with a crown, right? Go to that point of like, how does it make its money? What does it do? If those simple questions aren't obvious to you, and even things like how much hope do you, how much speculation, how much hype do you have to believe for this to work out? And again, ask yourself, okay, well... Maybe maybe it's cheap enough to take the risk, but it's probably not. So just mm. go right back to, you don't have to. You don't have to be cleverer. You don't have to be more cutting edge. You just have to find good businesses with good futures at good prices. Like it's 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 uh, that simple. Uh, yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? And so we we talk for two hours a week, and there are people in glass buildings in, in the cities that are getting paid, you know, seven figures to somehow be master of the universe except it's not that hard it's just not that hard no. I don't, that's not, it's not simple to do you got to do the work you got to put the effort in you'll be wrong sometimes but it kind of don't have It complicated really is that simple
0: yeah there's a great um oh, I wish I could think of the keywords to search for but there's a great mm. interview with Charlie Mungo where he's talking about oh I think Becky quick uh, asks you know <laughs> well if you guys are so good why doesn't anyone else copy it <laughs> and he goes because it's too simple yeah it's like it 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 feels so true it is it it, why all of these professors in business schools and you know Mm -hmm. uh, economic uh, lecture halls around like that they're out of a job if they all admit that actually it's no more complicated than this uh and and so yeah that's been their edge this is just well we're just we're just going to keep doing this and theories are going to evolve and come and go and people are gonna start applying all of this fancy jargon and mathematics to it, but we're just trying to find <laughs> yeah. really great businesses at attractive prices. I mean, exactly. it's, it's, all, it's very well embodied in Buffett's um, saying that investing is simple, but not easy, which yes, I've always that's, loved. Yes, that's
1: exactly what it is. Because
0: yeah. it, while it's true to say that just find good businesses at sensible prices, well, let's break that down. What's a good business? Well, hmm. uh, a good business has these characteristics. What do you mean? What do you, what do you mean by a moat? What mm-hmm. do you mean by pricing power? What do you mean by sustainable competitive advantage? What do you mean by good margin? You know, so you go down and down, there's layers and layers and you kind of, you, you end back where you started. <laughs> yeah, um, that's right. But it's, it's not easy. It's not easy because like, well, what is a good business? Well, how, how do I know what's a good price? Like that, that's where it gets complex. But the, but the core idea of it is simple and I think at each level you can you can simplify to a point which is sort of practically sort of achievable, without getting too
1: lost in the weeds, so to speak. Yeah, yep, so, exactly. Yeah, nicely put. Nicely put. Uh, and again, it takes some time and effort. By the way, we're not we're not saying that anyone can just pick up a you know pick up a newspaper and find the right stock to invest in. Like you got to do the work, and you it takes some time to learn, and you'll make some mistakes. And that's not you know it's not an excuse for saying if you don't understand it then you're stupid. We're not saying any of that stuff. We're just saying the simple the simple principles have not changed in my view around I think you're agreeing 75 yeah. years no the, the application of them might have changed because of different businesses and different business models and but the very fundamental ideas are just you know they are timeless for a very good reason and people try and make it seem more difficult than it needs to be for generally either they again want to make themselves sound smart or they're trying to fool you or both um, it's not that not that hard and just back but, to that you know, back to that point yeah, of let's...
0: asking dumb questions and that as well i think yeah. a lot of it's sort of couched in in humility and just
1: yeah you
0: know you the the worst attribute an investor can have is arrogance and lord knows there's a lot of arrogance in our industry um but it's it's the humble investors that are the best ones because you need that to recognize what you don't know and i've said repeatedly there is so much stuff that comes across my desk Hmm. The majority of stuff that comes across yeah. my just it's too hard basket.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And it's not that I don't like the business. I mean, I, I get a bit of. I, I know I annoy some of the hosts on OzBiz <laughs> and stuff at time. And they say, "What do you think about this?" I, go, oh, I don't really know, and it's just yes. such an unsatisfying answer. I'm just, I'm yeah, like, that's don't. right. I can pretend. I can use yes. some big words, yes. and I can yes. oh, the ROEs is not really high, and point to some, make some observations, and make it sound smart. But it's I don't know, and that's that's okay because more than okay. It, if I stay to the stuff, I'm quoting Buffett a thousand times here, but you know, it's, the, it's the it's it's not the size of your circle of competence that matters. It's it's knowing where the boundaries are. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, almost every time I've made a very big mistake is because I've strayed outside of that. And I've felt that well, yeah, I've, I've wandered into an area I know nothing about, or not nearly as much as I should. But f- have felt that I known enough, and it's just no. And so there's a lot of stuff. I'm sure right now there's a bunch of stuff I should have in my portfolio that will go on to be incredible, incredible investments. But I just can't. Because I, I just it would be la- if I did well in them, it would just be purely yes, by chance. Exactly. Exactly. Because I don't I don't I don't understand those those industries or those businesses or just, it's too hard.
1: So I'll, I'll keep it simple. Same goes for style for me, actually, mate. I um I, I run a portfolio at the Motley Fool, actually. We've just decided to close it and Part of the thing was when we, when we wanted to launch it, we said, hey, why don't we do a thing that does all these things? It was a bit growth, bit value, bit big, bit small, bit whatever. And, and it kind of turned out that, honestly, so, so the performance is down at the moment. Uh, other services are up. So it's, I don't think it's all my fault. Maybe it is. Maybe it's timing. Maybe it's a whole lot of things. But the reason we actually- It's the lazy exchange, workers.
0: It's the lazy workers. We underneath. must
1: have the lazy worker. There you go, Mr. Gerner. We're welcome. Um, <laughs> but we kind of, it, it kind of, the thing was it wasn't me and it wasn't my style. It was, it, was this, it was this weird kind of combination of stuff. We try to be all things to all people. And it was kind of like, actually, why, why would we think, why would I think that was actually going to give people a better result than doing the thing that I'm most good at, rather than try to take the thing I'm most good at and try and do other things with it? If you put, um, we, you used to work for, I still work for, uh, The Motley Fool. One of our co-founders, David Gardner, is a spectacularly good growth investor. Warren Buffett is a spectacularly good value investor, and Mm. I say value with a little v, rather than capital V, because his style's improved or um, not improved. Uh, Maybe it's a Freudian slip. His style has evolved a lot (laughs) as well. Um, They couldn't manage each other's portfolios, right? They just couldn't. And but they're both really successful investors. I think I said the other day that at the Multifill, we have at one point a few years ago, we had the top two services in the in the US. One was a value investing service, one was a growth investing service, (laughs) and and you kind of go, well, you know, the same person can't do both necessarily um you know i i just i just think it's i just think it's uh it's worth just knowing what your style is what you're good at all that kind of stuff and then just focusing on that again it shouldn't be it shouldn't be overly rocket science but don't try to be the investor you're not if you need to do just just bottom up you know deep value 80 cent dollars and that's your thing then do your thing if you're a super growth investor then do your thing um, I, I'm not saying every everyone who has who wants to be a certain style can be successful doing it, or even that the style is successful. But just know yourself and don't don't try be all things to all people because you'll end up being nothing to anybody. Know thyself.
0: I, I interviewed Steve Johnson from Forager recently, and oh, he's great. So
1: he's really
0: great, and and like they're very much sort of the value school of thought approach, and they've had a hard run lately, you know. And different. Uh, actually, it's come it's come good recently, but it, the. What he really sort of said there was is that, well, that's just going to always happen. Like sort of things come in and out of vogue all the time. Mm-hmm. I think what one of the real dangers is, is that you start chasing <laughs> yeah. diff- different kinds of styles where it's like, yeah. oh, value is out, growth is in. Okay, now I'm going to be a growth investor. Oh, okay, now it's mm, I don't know, momentum trading. Oh, okay, now I'm going to do that. Then, uh, just it's, it's the consistent application of something that has sound merit and principle to it. Is, is another superpower. And it, it, it necessitates suffering through what feel like eternal periods of, of disappointment. But you know, the longest winter, there's, there's, there's a spring on the other side of it. And I, I just feel as though chasing the latest thing
1: is, is just a guaranteed recipe for disaster. Yep, now let's move on to a question from Ben, who says, hi, Raymond Scott. Great work on the podcast. I really appreciate the effort you make to keep us entertained and informed. So many of my questions have already been answered by your other listeners. And I rarely find myself shouting at the pod machine as you seem to address both sides of an argument. Sorry, Ben. that We're not very good shock jocks, are we, Ram? no we should we should find one viewer just just you know people either hate listen or love listen but that's what we're supposed to do it's being in the middle is i can i say i i have a number of twitter followers i have about a third of the number of followers i could have if i just chose one side or the other i found it with um with the change of government right i bagged the last lot and now i'm bagging the new lot and i'm sure there are so many followers who are like but I thought he was on my side, and people enjoy, People like my tweets are very different depending on what I'm what I'm commenting on, and I yeah. I, I always I always appreciate those who do follow me on Twitter because you know I, I don't take a party line, and people who have a particular view of, of party or ideology, you know, it takes it takes a degree of um, I will say thanks to my followers. It takes a degree of kind of maturity to actually go. Oh, I don't like what Scott's saying here, but I'll keep following him because maybe he's got some other stuff to say, or vice versa, right? Yeah. Um, so I just again I appreciate it, but it's yeah I'm not I'm not very good at uh, finding a finding a course, just banging on that one thing to attract followers to my side and be done with it. Um, yeah, the people who people who loved me uh, 6, 12, 18 months ago don't love me quite so much at the moment. That's that's okay. It's
0: actually a very well known, well maybe not well known, but it's a very good way to in, to grow so social networks. Your social graph, right, is right. find a niche and go yeah. exactly for that. Oh, totally. And so from a from a you know cynics point of view, that's absolutely what you should do. I'm all of, I'm the guy that's all about
1: this. Yep. No one, and no you one see follows that. a generalist, right? Right? You see yeah. that. You see the people who are just obsessively on one side of a debate or the other or do one particular thing. It's like, you know, I just I just rant about I am just a hardcore lefty, I'm just a hardcore right winger, I'm just anti yeah. this, I'm just pro that. I, I, Again, to your point, it's stupid. I mean, I should I should do that if I was if I well, I, mean, I don't really monetize my followers anyway. If I was going to, you would just choose one. I'm just going to be the guy who just does this thing. I'm going to, Regardless of common sense. I'm just going to choose a side, choose a pick a team, and just do more and more of that. And it's, it, God, it's frustrating. It is. It is. Anyway, Ben says, I know you don't like talking about your services on the podcast, but I think you deserve to, given your effort. Well, that's very kind, Ben. But again, he says, in regards to each of your services, how often do you have sell recommendations or at least discuss? When a stock should be sold i know at least with the full services there are plenty of buyers or best ideas but if one of us to follow all of these at least the buyers would one not end up with a ridiculously large number of companies in your portfolio after several years i'm not sure how straw man deals with this says ben but i'm interested to hear how often your members discuss their sell ideas mm. straw on from ben um it's a really good question mate um both, both. I think. Well, again, I do, yeah, he's right. I don't love going kind of, pitching the service. If people want to join, they can. And you know, we're not here to. We're not here. I mean, look, frankly, we're doing this for free. So if you want to join one of our services and kind of justify our time, that'd be awesome. But zero pressure, zero effort. Like, just you know, do what you want to do. You can't join. when strongman's closed. So, uh, but yeah. you can always jump on the waiting list. Yeah. Hey. Um. But that said, talking about sales is really important, right? Both in terms of managing a portfolio, but even just the discipline of selling. So I'll throw to you first, mate. Um, from a straw man perspective. Do your do your members talk about sales often? How do you kind of think about sales? What's the how's that all kind of come together for straw man members?
0: Yeah, I oh, such I oh, so much to say. we could do episode after episode on yeah. selling. And <laughs> selling is won't, so we. much harder than <laughs> buying in my my personal view. And I am a much better buyer than I am a seller. I admit that. Um, first thing to clarify is that we don't give advice in any way, shape or form. Um, I'm not, not trying to sort of cover my backside here. It's very deliberate, you know. Yeah, you're no right, one cares right. more about your money than you. You're a form. Yep yep, yep. yep. And I, and I just honestly, I, just, I so fundamentally believe it in my bones. You can borrow an idea, but you can't borrow the conviction. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, that sounds interesting. I'll buy it. Something changes three months later. I was like, oh, now what do I do? Well, you don't know what to do because it wasn't your idea and you didn't put yep. any work into it. So it's sort of, so anyway, um, mm. so we don't give advice. Uh, people talk about selling a lot actually on the forum. And mm. um, it, it is, I think part of it is, the whole idea is really, I think when you put your thoughts out there to a, to a wider community mm. and it, you expose yourself, right? You really do, uh, yeah. it takes a lot of guts. It takes a real, um, a real level of maturity, I think, frankly, because we have all these sort of sample portfolios that everyone runs. The idea being is that that's what signals to the community what you like and how much you like it. So rather than saying, hey, Scott, what are you? What are your favorite ideas? I'm gonna just look at your portfolio. By definition, <laughs> your your best ideas are there and your yeah. favorite ideas are the ones you've got the most most waiting in. Um, so it's a bit of fun and it's a good way to sort of see what other people think, but you also put yourself out there. Like, you know, you're gonna have periods of really bad performance and you're gonna look like you have egg on your face at, at times. And other times you're gonna look like a genius. and often that's just before the pride before 4 moment so people tend to be <laughs> so people tend to be really um I love it because it does it, it's a great equalizer you know there's there's no one that sort of i think he, no no one sort of dances on the graves of others when when people make mistakes because mm-hmm. we all know that we're only one mistake away from from that same kind of situation so, so i think true. um you know we've had oh, some companies recently where CEOs have sold just before a capital raise
1: or where. Happened this week, by the way.
0: (laughs) Yes. No names mentioned. No. Uh, And they outline the thinking on it. And and the idea being, I love it. It just makes me so happy when I see it. It's not to say, I'm doing this and you should do it too. Um, It's almost always framed from the point of view of, I've done this. This is why I've done Mm. it. Does anyone have a reason as to why I shouldn't? Yeah. Not, not necessarily so explicitly that way, mm. but, but because, you know, that maybe your thinking's wrong. Maybe you're missing mm. something. And mm. I think that's that's the value prop as I sort of try to put it there is to sort of have that think. One, writing down your thoughts clarifies your thinking in ways that just can't be overstated. <laughs> it, just, it can't be overstated. Like it yeah. takes a loose, amalg- uh, you know, aggregation of thoughts and clarifies it, crystallize it. And that, that itself is going to help you a lot. But then to have other people who might be in a different frame of mind, have different experiences, different backgrounds, different insights to sort of say, well, have you considered this? And think of that all the time, right? Not like you're an, not, it's not, <laughs> I won't mention the website, but it's not a, a certain forum that's out there that goes, <laughs> uh, you're an idiot. And this is why, you know, it, it's like, yeah. well, I, I think about it a bit differently and, and this is so so, yes, people do, and I think the the reason being is is to to steal man to use the opposite. maybe I should have called it steel man
1: <laughs> There's every uh, chance rebranding
0: now it occurs to me years too late anyway but they they steal man <laughs> they're trying to steal man an argument and and I think that is that is the the way to to do it and I think the other thing that's really um worth remembering here is that. Any decision not to sell um, is almost like a decision to
1: buy, yeah. And and in the sense that you're 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 keep you're, you're retaining that that asset and therefore exposing yourself to the future in any, in any case.
0: Yeah, and, and you're 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 keeping your capital tied up, correct? Under that position, which by definition, I mean it can't, it's the if you uh, had to cash tomorrow, yeah, exactly. yeah, it's yep. exclusion principle at play here. You know, a particle can't be into to Two particles can't be in the same position at once, and, and two amounts of money can't be in two different positions at once. It just can't Opportunity happen. Opportunity cost, baby. Yep. Opportunity yep. cost, you know? Yep. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm rambling. You, you, you go on. What do you think?
1: No, but I, I think it's perfect. A um, couple of things, actually, Ben. Um, I am, and the Motley Fool tends to be better at buying than selling. I think I've probably said in the podcast, maybe not for a while, that in the US, a few, quite a few years ago, and actually probably maybe five years ago, they did some research. The US, we've been in business here since 2011. The Yanks have been in business since 1997 and had kind of portfolio style approaches since about 2001 or two. And they went back and looked at all the the cells. They decided if they'd never sold anything, they would have been better off. In other words, at the point in time they decided to sell. Uh, the, the net result of that was that um, the cells would have done, they would have made money if they held all cells. put it that way, rather than selling them. <laughs> so there's something, and that's my, that's one of the origin, indirectly it's not the only origin, of my, my approach to be slow to buy and slower to sell. That is, if you've done all the work, then you've found the companies you think are best. And particularly if you're a long-term investor who prioritizes quality in business, which everyone should, frankly, in my view, although other people have different views. Um, if you find a great business, then some will go badly. So I've talked about my you know, efforts of commission and omission before selling stuff too quickly. Um, my service, I'm sure, members would have been richer had I not sold anything. So that's that's the first, the first thought. Second thought is there's a whole lot of different ways you can manage a portfolio. Some people like conviction, buy 12 stocks or 8 stocks and just do that. And that's fine. Um, others, to your point about managing a lot of stocks... David Gardner, again, I'll mention him a second time. I, I, I'm, I'm always wary of putting words in people's mouths because I don't want to misrepresent their positions, but I'll, I'll do my best to be um, uh, to, to do it correctly. The, his view is, look, he owns a lot of stocks, and the ones that have done well are worth a large part of his portfolio. The ones that have done terribly are so small now as so it be almost immaterial to, the, to his returns. And and that's not to be flippant. His point is, I could sell them once they have 0.05% of my portfolio, but kind of at that point, why bother? And... You know, at some point, they're a bit of a reminder of, of mistakes made and, and, and things gone. Um, there is something to that, I think, around just kind of letting your portfolio build. So I I am also slow to sell. I think I've sold maybe twice in the last three or four years. Um, I'm, I'm fortunate I'm adding more money because I'm saving every, every pay period. So I'm adding more money to my portfolio. So I don't have to sell to free up capital. Ram's absolutely right about opportunity cost, 100% right. Um mm-hmm but generally i'm kind of happier to let my portfolio kind of sit where it is i don't i don't buy all that frequently either by the way so i'm not someone who i don't buy every fortnight and they never sell otherwise you're right i have a million things um a lot of the monthly full servers we actually re-recommend companies in other words recommend them for a second or third or fourth purchase um so not they're not just new companies and then in terms of managing it mate i guess it's up to you um if you are a member of the full service i do want to I'm, okay, I'm not trying to be noted or sell here uh, we follow them on behalf of our members so if, if you want to just buy them when we recommend them and then sell when we say sell then go for it um, but generally because we in those services we don't have a fixed amount of capital we can make a new recommendation each time without selling more so it is that equivalent of adding money to a portfolio regularly um, so far we've done reasonably well I think on almost all of our services so there's that kind of idea of you know uh, I'm not sure you need to uh, sell for the sake of it if find you you want to do the research yourself then yeah there is a reality to how many you can cover now, at that point i would i i've even found it share advisor for example I, i'm going to pull this up just just really quickly ram sorry not to talk about it just to give it some context the last dozen recommendations we've made let me have a look one two three four five of the last dozen were re-recommendations so actually we've only had seven new ideas in the last month last year and that's probably pretty reasonable. Now, we've also sold some in the last year. Um, I, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's a massive issue, frankly, is I guess my thought. But can I, can again, I, can I can guess? I'm, on, sure, I'm sure there was some subscribers that didn't appreciate that. Well, this is the other thing, right? Because people who join us over say, I want new ideas. I'm like, well, if I've already got 40 companies on the scorecard, do you really want my 41st best idea? If, if I like those 40, do you really want the new thing because it's new? And we do a bit of both. As I said, some of you, some aren't. Um, The longer we're, frankly, the longer we're in business, the more we are likely to replicate something because there's not that many. I I will say for Ben's question, he's absolutely right. If we get to 100 live recommendations, then we're doing something wrong too because there can't be that many great companies that we're so confident of beating the market that we really want you to own them all. So we got to hold ourselves accountable to that as well. As I said we do sell some uh, for different reasons. Some are takeovers, some go to rubbish, some get too expensive, um, a combination of all those things. So you know, there's there's reasons. I, look, I don't want to talk about again, not so much about the services. In terms of selling, honestly, mate, my general approach is as it be slow to buy, slower to sell. Um, I would be loath to get rid of that stuff, but that's that's just my call.
0: Yep, I said this last week. I actually continued to mull it over because, um. I think it's a useful framework. I want to try and formalize it more. And it's not an original idea in, in at least general concept, but just break out of Google sheets. Not because I'm going to make you build a DCF model, but just get out a spreadsheet, or a <laughs> Word doc, whatever. And just write down all the companies that you would like to own. Um probably worthwhile having another document just gives you you know a one page thesis on why you would they're good investments i is this business around in 10 years time and is it earning materially more money at that point than it is today that's a really good starting point mm. but then next to though on the on your spreadsheet write down what the uh returns what your future expected returns are but on mm. uh, based on that that future outlook of, of the business and you will it what's really nice about it it's just going to put things in context for you, is like, gosh, I really love Cochlear. What a great business be around forever. I think it'd be more profitable in the future, but I think it's really expensive at this point in time next to something that perhaps I don't feel as strongly about in terms of business, but wow, the return mm. potential is much higher. And I've now got a context to comparing one with the other. And I would just draw a line, Pr- frankly, for me, I would draw it no more than 20 down the list. Mm. That's what, that's the football team that you're going to put onto the pitch. Right, and so for something to go on the pitch, someone's got to come off. Yes, and that's I'm good way to put it, you yep. know. And that because yep. uh, because frankly, beyond that point, I mean, do I really need how much yeah. diversification yeah. do I yeah. really need? Um, and then I'm just gonna I'm just gonna play it that way, and I'm going mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. make sure that the players that are on the field <laughs> are those that have the best risk adjusted yeah. return. Yeah. You know, there'd probably yep. be another column there that I would have conviction next to confidence, mm-hmm. quality, whatever adjective you want to use there. Because that that does matter, um, or maybe that's folded into your your risk adjusted nature of the return. But again, I'm getting I'm getting overly unnecessarily complex here. I'm just trying to say that what you want to do is just create a wish list, and then try and put a value next to each of those, which sort of identifies its 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 uh, uh, attractiveness to you at this current point in time. You'll need to update that as the share price changes, uh, meaningfully. If shares go down half a percent one day. What's the point? but you know, meaningfully. And as new information sort of comes to light. And I've always said, that's that's the value of a Motley Fool or any any newsletter service. So they're just, they're an idea generator. You can, look, there's 2,200 companies out there, go do your work. Or pay these guys a small fee and they'll narrow it down to what would you say, 40 stocks. And then you can yep, then yep. You go to work on those 40. I know which one I would prefer to do.
1: <laughs> like this ones, <laughs> exactly. it's a lot
0: easier to do one than the other. But that's, but then, but then, Just remember here that you, again, opportunity cost. I just want to make sure the best players are fielded at any one particular point in time. And that exercise, you can build that in the manner that you see fit as long as you're sort of getting the general sort of um, concept right there. I think that's a really useful framework to help you answer that question. Gosh, there's all these stocks. Which ones do I buy? Well, (laughs) you buy the ones that you think are the best quality and that are offering the best value. Mm. How do I know that? Yeah. Well, yep. you do a bit of work or you, you lean heavily on, on someone else who's doing, going to do the work for you. But that's, that's, there's no, that, that's pretty much your options. Nicely put, man. Motley Full Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener.
1: Hey, question from someone who wants to remain anonymous who says, Hi, Scott and Ram. Question for the pod please keep anonymous. Again a reminder, if you want to be anonymous, put it at the top of the question rather than the bottom, because I don't always pre-read them. Uh, so well done for this person. Uh, I would like to know how you guys think about balancing investing and spending money on experiences and life's luxuries. This one is particularly difficult for me. I'm a passionate investor. But I'm also a twenty five year old who has plans, he says, and bookings for overseas travel, and probably spends more than needed on weekends out with friends and general life experiences. Basically, I'm not frugal in nature. But I do invest most of the leftovers. I have close to 30 grand invested in the market, but I know this could be a lot more if I put the brakes on spending. Sometimes it's painful to think about how much this could equate to when I consider the compounded value in 30 to 40 years. Then there's the other half of my brain, which tells me that life is meant to be enjoyed. And there's little point accumulating wealth, but not living. How do you guys feel about balancing these interests, particularly for a younger person? now see i liked you until the end of that question and then you had to stick the knife in and say you're a younger person therefore we're old blah 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 i'm tempted to move on and not even answer the question around but i'm not quite that vindictive so i will ask you to turn your attention to the question posed by the anonymous questioner even though they apparently are young and we are apparently old (laughs) Uh, how do do you balance it out mate
0: this is why i've got faith in the future i mean gosh that's just such what what a what a brilliant question um I spent a lot of my youth backpacking around, traveling around and probably could have spent all that money and put it into realestate.com or whatever. And I'd be very, very rich right now, but I don't regret it. And I'm pretty sure Mm -hmm. when I'm on my deathbed, it'll be those experiences I look back and and treasure the most, you Mm -hmm. know, so... I know this is the wrong answer from a finance guy <laughs> who would should should say no 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 put as much as you you can, mm-hmm. but no it's the same as we were talking about with um, the teacher and the coffee right like th- there are some people there's there's some really good examples I'm going to draw a blank on the name now people who these miserly old ladies and you know whatever or old uh, frugal you know, gentlemen that lived a life of misery. And when, after they died, the family realized they were $14.8 billion or something, you know, like, well, not money is money is a tool. Money is there to, to be enjoyed. Yep. And, and I think you, you can go to either extreme too much. You, you can be the kind of person who invests every single red cent, or you can be the kind of person who parties hard every single weekend and never say, and <laughs> both of those answers are wrong to mm. my view. So there's no right answer that I'm, I'm going to give you. Um, what I would do though, is I would flip it around a little bit. So the listener said, I, whatever's left over, I invest. Mm. And can I tell you, here's, here's something else that I'm going to go jar against every financial planner in the world here, but I hate budgets. I think budgets I know, you've are you've said that before dumb. I don't like them. Don't oh. like them because it's like a it's like a diet. You know, it doesn't work because mm. they're, they're they're too impossible to stick to. And what you might think in the cool light of day, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to spend this much on entertainment and this much on food. And It's just too hard. Um, so what do you what do you do? I think for my mind, I, I when I say flip it around, I do it this way. I say, I. Depending on how much I earn, I am going to invest this much per week or save slash invest this much per week. Anything left over that is up for grabs. Mm. Do what I like with it. i think it I think it's it, it gets rid of the. Life is comes at you too fast. There's too many things on your plate for me to work out. Oh, can I spend this twenty dollars fifty on a burrito today? When I said that in my budget, I only had so much for fast food, but I did have so much for entertainment and this and like, you know, these apps that the banks give you that you know, it just all it all sounds good, but it's just not. It is not feasible. Rather, I get paid, I put two hundred bucks aside, and the rest just go to town. Do whatever you like, and then when it just run out, wait till the next paycheck that comes in. You know, like it's just easier it's it's and i think it's which is better i'm sure the more technical answer is to have a very well thought out structured articulate well articulated budget but you're not if you're not going to stick to it it's worthless it's like the the diet and the exercise plan that is far superior than someone who just goes you know i'm going to try and get 10,000 steps in a day and you know maybe cut back on the sugar right it's it's just Mm -hmm. one is one is immense if it's more achievable it's better and and that that's that's why I think, yeah, that's why I, I, would, I would go about it that way. And, and, and then you'll find that you limit yourself that way. Like if you find that, oh, I'm miserable, I'm missing out on all these things that my friends are doing, well, just cut back on the amount that you're saving each week because you don't want to be miserable, right? Or if you find that it's actually, you know, I don't think I'd actually miss an
1: extra $50 saved each week.
0: And I can, I can, I can bump that up. But save first,
1: live second. So I I agree um, with a couple of additional thoughts. Not lot of exceptions, just additional thoughts. Uh, one is I think the I think you're right about budgeting, with the exception of people not having enough to pay the electricity bill at the end of the month because they spent it all on something else. So the the idea of budgeting, you're right. So firstly, pay yourself first. I think is the Single best one, well, maybe it's not single best. One of the very best piece of advice in finance, because if you wait till see what's left over, too often there'll be not enough left over, and if you don't have it, you won't spend it. If you already put it aside, you're not going to say, "Well, have I still got the 200 bucks I planned to?" Oh, I don't, because I thought it was worth buying the jeans or doing whatever. So, so pay yourself first always always makes sense. I, I just think with the budget thing, mate. My only thing from a broader financial advice, financial planning perspective, is just if you know you have got to pay the car rego, the insurance, the babysitter, the whatever else, you have got to make sure that's still there, right? Because if you on the burrito and then you're like oh now i've default on my rent or something so just you know i agree with you at a, at a, at a kind of a general level uh, for some people they do need to just at least make sure they've got the right money in the right bucket so that when the bills are due they've got the money to pay it I just I the, no, you're
0: 100 yeah. percent right. I, I guess the way I would deal with that though is when you're trying to figure out how much can I put aside each week. I think that's where it yep. comes into it. So I'll know. tell you, agreed. Yeah, My great, rent great, is yeah, this yeah. much. I've yep. got this much in rent. What's left? I so in theory
1: I could save this much. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, and then I can that's decide right. from from there. But yes, yeah, it's a very good yeah. point that you raise. Uh, the other thing, I, so Chris, I, 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 uh, Rams making me the bad guy. He said the whole hey spend, spend your money, who cares, enjoy life. And I'm <laughs> the locals to say, yeah, but so I, I end up being the bad guy um p- partly deserve it because you're 25 you know i hate young people chris uh, but also I, the only thing i would say is i i 100 agree with ram um there are you know th- th- whether i'm happy about how much money i've got at the bank at the end of my life is probably immaterial as, long as i've got enough to do what i want to do relative to things i could have done and chose not to because i was trying to save the money i 100 percent agree the only thing i would say is there is a role for self-discipline somewhere between those two extremes which is I'd love that new forty-eight million screen inch. I said forty. I was going to say forty inch. I was like, that's a really small TV these days. I'd love that new one hundred and fifty inch TV, and I'd, I, it's an experience. I feel, I feel, I feel good if I buy it. And so you know, Ram said it's okay because I don't have to invest. I can enjoy my life. I can do that, or you know, I can have the eighty fourth pina colada on a Friday night because yeah, who cares? They're eighty five dollars a a pop at the local you know pu- special but not a pub, a bar, special bar in Sydney <laughs> or something. Um, I, I just think I think there's 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 some room for. There's some room for some combination of self-discipline and just a little bit of future thinking. You know, will you really be glad in a year's time you bought the extra X? T-shirt, pair of jeans, holiday, whatever. And if the answer is yes, then go for it. But just put your, put your future selves, almost a ramp's point, put your future self's head on and say, in 25 years, will I, be, will I be glad I did this thing? Yes. Or in 25 years, will I be like, I didn't really need to spend that money on that thing, did I? It wasn't that big a deal then again, that might give you the answer. So I would just, I would just, again, it's no, no different to what Ram said. I would just add that extra little bit of, you can always make, in the moment, you can always justify buying the new car because it's more fuel efficient. Or, you know, I feel better if I buy the new pair of jeans or I'd really, really enjoy the new TV or whatever those things are, right? Um, so I'm, not, and I'm just not saying don't do any of those things at all. I'm just saying, have a think about whether in the future you genuinely look back and say, gee, I'm glad I got that or... I didn't really need that, and maybe that's how I just probably add some extra context. In my view, I'm not saying it was Ram's view at all, but in my view, to to that question is just, you know, am, am I going to be glad I bought it, or do I kind of wish? I've I've given the example for Ram. I I was a stupid twenty-something um, year old, not as stupid as Chris. Not is stupid at all, which it helps. But I was uh, I was I was really stupid as a twenty. I must have been twenty three or something. I think I got given a car allowance from my employer. I got a promotion, and it came with a car allowance. Right, it was a cash payment. You didn't have to use it for a car. It was called a car allowance. The, the job comes with it. And these days, it's all one number, normally most remuneration. But the, back in the day, I'm old. It was, here's your base salary, and here's your car allowance. So I went out and said, okay, I've got this money, and it's a car allowance. So what? really, I'm not really spending the money because I wouldn't have had it up if I didn't get the car allowance. on. So I'll, I'll go and spend it. I did even worse. I, I got a higher, commercial hire higher purchase, a finance lease on a car. Uh, It was a Volkswagen Passat, which I loved. It was a beautiful car. Leather seats, heated seats. The whole kidney caboodle, ridiculous, right? Absolutely ridiculous. I want to say it was about 60-odd grand, I think, worth of car. Um, Maybe a bit more than that. And, right, I'm 23. Seriously, what the hell? Anyway, uh, the other thing, by the way, peer pressure is big, right? So all the other sales. I was in in account management uh, in a little bit of sales and, and analysis for a food company. Everyone else had a cool car too. So i you know, just give one of, the, one of the team and not miss out. All the stupid peer pressure things. So I, I, I bought the car. I sold it X years later. I, I maybe might've got 15 grand for it, right? So I've dusted 45. Um, I got the car allowance. So yeah, again, I didn't spend more than I, I wasn't left with less take home. I, I didn't spend more than the allowance. So I felt like it was an okay thing to do. If I'd have saved that money and invested it instead, I did the maths um, subsequently. And literally, because I was so young, the amount of money I dusted on that car probably would have compounded to a very high six-figure sum by retirement. Mm. Now, am I bitter about that? You bet I'm. bitter. <laughs> I was a stupid so-and-so because was it fun? Yes. If I was not swept up in the moment and caught up with the, it was even peer pressure. It was just I wanted to be, I to be like the other cool kids. Uh, it, it just you know, there I don't, I don't regret spending money on holidays. I went to the UK, lived there for a year, I earned pounds, and still came home with nothing. I spent the lot. I don't regret a cent of that spending, right? Because it was, I went all over Europe. I'd had a great time. The car, that was just absolute blatant stupidity. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely sympathizing with Chris. I'm agreeing with you, Ram. And I'm just saying at the same time, sometimes you got to say, I can be hedonistic about that thing, but I really shouldn't be because it's not that big a deal.
0: That's uh, such a great story. Um, the science has got a bit to say on this. So, oh, go on. Uh, God, I'm not going to be able to quote papers, but I do remember reading that, experiences rank well above things right so in Makes terms sense. of happiness um yeah. the 25 year old backpacking uh, mm-hmm. across vietnam is, is is going to give you much more value quote unquote right over your life in terms of fond memories and the rest of it than than a sports car
1: yeah Legit- Makes sense.
0: Th- what what science tells us also is that the thrill of the new purchase—we all know what this is, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I bought um, some new a new toy the other day. I was like, "Oh, I was so happy! I was so excited!" <laughs> you know, nah, now it's just, it, it it fades very, 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 very quickly. Yeah. Now experiences, by definition, are over once they're over. Like they, yeah. they they're gone. But but there's something about the memory of that that lingers and lasts. So I guess what I would say is, if you're going to and you should enjoy your life. Um, uh, to err uh, more towards the experiences than the things, and also be very mindful. To, like some, I've got a friend who loves cars, like loves cars. Okay. I look at him and just go, "You're an idiot!" Like, I, <laughs> I don't get it, yeah, but he's yeah. not wrong because that that yeah. that for him is is pla- like it, it is a visceral mm-hmm. play. He loves the me- mechanics, the engineering, the aesthetics. So he just just gets into and you know, he'll just. Yeah. He loves it. So, whatever mm. your thing is in life, I think that you you're okay to sort of chase that, but don't chase it for signalling reasons. And too mm. many of us buy things not because I'm not buying the Bentley because I just <laughs> I love that car. For the record, I'm never buying a Bentley because a <laughs> I don't have a choice, and b I wouldn't anyway. Um, but but we also know that a lot of us buy stuff to impress other people. Yeah, not, right. not for the intrinsic pleasure Probably. it brings yep. us. It's yep. like, in other words, if I lived, if it was you know a Mega Man kind of end of the world thing, I wouldn't. I just wouldn't have this because there's no one to impress. So just be very honest with yourself. It's like, are you buying this because you're trying to signal to other people how successful and rich and happy you are? Are you that that person on Instagram that's living this brilliant life that is, but is crying themselves to sleep every night because they're <laughs> miserable and lonely? Lonely. Yeah. Um, so just yeah, I, 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 and that that is that is a very rare person in their 20s or even 30s i think that has the ability to sort of be honest enough and frankly people in all stages of life to to recognize that amongst themselves but if you can again it's another superpower
1: i like it mate really nicely put hey um, let's finish off with one more we can probably squeeze one in um <laughs> oh no um, I will I will ask the question in the order of which it's posted, and I'm going to ask you just to um, recognize, Ram, that we don't have another hour of this podcast because the batteries in intru- my I'm machine will run out. Good morning, gents, says Nick. I just wanted to question why Andrew always mentions about not wanting to go on a rant about the flaws with investing in property for a 1% <laughs> yield when you get more in the bank. However, at the same time, he'll invest in companies making no profit, so basically 0% yield. Mm. Or dare I say... <laughs> Bitcoin that doesn't make a return with the base that we're worth more in the future. How could he, quote, square that circle, end quote, when he is doing the same thing in just a different asset class? Are both he and property investors not investing based on believing their capital will be worth more and therefore using the same logic? Thanks. Oh, I love it. Nick. Yeah, great question, Nick. I mean, it's brilliant. Timer and- starts now. Okay. Oh, God. oh, now now there's pressure. Um, Sorry, mate. Yeah, yeah. No, you take as long as you want.
0: Uh, it's, it's a it's a very hard question to answer very quickly, and I won't even bother yeah. going towards Bitcoin. But I will say <laughs> I will say that you're right. Um, if you want to look at things purely through the yield lens, mm. then yeah, it's it's hard to sort of make any justification to it. My argument would be, uh, let's, let's look at some of the small cap companies out there that aren't paying dividends at all. In fact, some of them not even making profits. So how do I do that? Well, it will, you square the circle by saying, but I think they will in the future. Yeah. right? So I think here's a company, it's not making any money, but wow, sales are growing at 20% per annum. Cost base is reasonably fixed and scalable. Extrapolate that forward a few years and they should be making a hell of a lot of money. Um, and that there's a long growth runway and that's where the value is. So I guess just to, to address the, 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 the counterpoint to that as well, that's, that's why I would invest in property, right? People yeah. were saying, yeah, well, I, I'm taking a 1% yield in property because I think that in five years time, the property will be worth much more and I'll get a capital gain. So my, the, my response to that is, well, I hope <laughs> you're right. Um, but why? Why? I, I would look at some of my companies and say, well, I think that the expectation for growth in sales is evident just in the trajectory that they've, like clearly more and more people are buying their product. Those that have their product there's very low churn are keeping it and probably upgrading it in a lot of cases as well. Mm-hmm. There's a very big market opportunity that's available with not a huge amount of competition and there's incredible sales. So I, like, no one knows the future. Uh, certainly I don't, but I, I think it's it's not, drawing a long bow to suggest when you look in your crystal ball that those sales are going to be bigger and better in the future mm. buffett pretty much did the same in 2012 was it when he bought apple shares right like correct huh. yeah yeah i think that this is a pretty good product i think in the future people will be buying more of it now, that, we can debate whether you're right or wrong but that's the expectation as i've long argued with property the trouble with it is, is that we're kind of at the end game of a greater full theory at this point, where it's like the only way that the property value goes up is that someone else. Th- th- this is the difference, right? Because these are, I know, I know someone's going to say you, yeah, but what about Bitcoin? But <laughs> the, the trouble with with um, uh, property is it's a non productive kind of asset. So the only way I think you made the point. There's only three ways, right? So I either get access to extra credit, I'm, or I'm more prepared to take a yep. lower yield. Yep. What was the third one? Um, Oh, I've gone blank now, but but in other words, there's there. It's not that it couldn't happen, right? Like we've got a situation now where someone who is on two hundred thousand dollars a year is still going to spend the next twenty five years trying to like pay off, pay off an average, pretty ordinary, you know, fairly run down Hmm. uh, two bedroom home in 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 an outer western suburb. It's like okay, so it's going to get even more expensive. It's possible. It's possible. But, but you really have to start to stretch credulity, I think. At, at a, a, I don't know how tight that rubber band gets before it snaps. It's it's a different proposition mm. than a business with demonstrable sales traction continuing to grow. Now, if you hold a different view, then that's fine. Invest it all in, in the property. But that's how I I square the
1: circle. Yeah, I think that's right, mate. I What I think we... I think what's important is to understand the context of the conversation. And I think... You and I don't always take the, a start from first principles toward the end result every time we talk about something. And so I think, Nick, what may be happening here is um, may have may have not missed, but just maybe maybe separated the two arguments. And I think, you know, when Rams made these comments, I'm not I, I'm not as bearish on properties as Ram is, but I do share his concerns about how much upside there is. Um and I think that's kind of important because when we, when we use shorthand to kind of summarize in passing, you yeah, have until you get a 1% yield, then we move on. I think it's, what's important is that Ram's saying that in the context, I'm not defending him, by the way, I'm explaining, in the context of every other conversation we've had for years about property, right? If we had to start from first principle, so what do you think about property? Well, let's go all the way back to 1860. You know, it, it, you couldn't do it every time people ask the question. I mean, maybe we could just refer back to the original podcast and be done with it. That's one way to do it. Um, so I think, you know, I, 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 Ram, I'm going to assume... If you found a property that was on a one percent yield, but you thought was going to triple in the next five years, you'd happily buy it, right? Oh hell yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, right. yeah. So yep. and
1: that's so that's where that's where it's important, Nick, to, to kind of add the and then what. And you, Ram, you've already made the point about the growth thing. But I guess we're not saying one percent yield is good or bad. I own some shares with one percent yield. I own some shares that don't pay a dividend. I own some shares that pay. Uh, what's the highest I've got? Oh, maybe four percent dividend yield, something like that. Maybe I'll look now really mm. quickly because this is boring for everybody else. Doesn't really matter actually. Um, yeah, I've probably got. Have I got a four percent yield? Maybe, maybe, maybe. Oh yeah, with Frankie. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Talk, there you go. So um, now you know. If I was just after income, I'd buy. I buy all the highest yielding stocks. If I, but but of course we know that that's not the only way to make a dollar. So when Ram says property's one percent. You know, some of these unprofitable companies are zero, and Bitcoin zero. That's fine because the future is the future of all that combination. What's inherent in what Ram says, and I frankly I believe I agree with him, is if you're starting with one percent yield, you need your, yes. your returns to come from capital gains. Yes. Yep. And if you need your returns to come from capital gains, not going to come, then you're going to lose on both counts. Yep. And so that's that's I think inherent. And just in quickly, the the,
0: vice, the, the opposite account. of that is true as well. A company that might be offering you a reliable eight percent yield all yes. in. You don't need much growth, right? Correct. It's like I've I've got it all. So so th- those numbers have to add up. So if I'm starting with zero, then I must have capital gain. Or I'm starting with one percent, I must have capital gain to out even outpace yep. inflation. And so then, then then the question is, well, where, why and why and how is, is is that going to come about? And then and then that's the second
1: second part that's more important. Yeah. So I think I think that I think that absolutely works. So I just want to make that point. I think it's very reasonable for you to say, hey, he's saying I wouldn't buy it just because I've got a low yield. Um, and that we have—I'm sure we've said that. I'm sure we both said that at some point in the past. Of you know, same one percent yield. So dot 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 implied or inferred or intended to be implied in the in the response was. And I'm not sure about the capital growth. So in that case, it's just not 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 a, an attractive enough idea for me to to go with. I think that's very very reasonable question. Um, the answer is probably just in the broader context of our discussions, both recently and frankly in the long past as well.
0: I'll, I'll just add as well. I think what makes me worried. I'm uh, um, not Nick's case cause he hasn't said it, but it, it comes up all the time where people are, make statements as if there's some kind of economic principle of the universe, you know, mm. like the law of gravity or something, Maxwell's equations, where they'll say mm. property doubles every seven years and then move on. it's like, you have to take that for granted. And it's like, whoa, 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 back up cowboy. <laughs> why why oh because yeah. that's what it did for the last 10 years like yes yes, mm, yes. now that's very spurious reasoning I, yeah. I imagine if i told you that hey scott there's a penny stock here that in the last couple of years has grown at 30 percent per annum so i'm putting all my money in that because look that's what it's done in recent times mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like you would go well that's you're an idiot like that like yeah. that is yeah. that is just because it. What do they say on every financial product ever? <laughs> Past is no guarantee. Past performance is no guarantee of future performance, right? Yep, yep, yep. And I would and then I would actually say, not that history isn't a useful guide, it's probably an incredibly useful guide. Yep. But I think what we do is we forget, we we lack context. You know, what what seems like a long time in our human lives <laughs> is very <laughs> short yeah, in the yeah. grand arc of history. And when you yeah. look, and people yeah. have, right? When you look over longer periods of time. Property goes up about rate of inflation, tends to match Mm. in all all, all developed markets that people have looked at. There's some exceptions, but the longest records we have are in Amsterdam, which go back to the 1600s, I believe, Mm. maybe a little bit further. And guess what? About 3% per annum. Um, In Australia, even with the hyper amazing growth that we have had in the last 25 odd years or so, and you want to go back to 1890s? I think from Melbourne, there's some really old records there. It's only about three and a half, four percent. Right. So if you want to play that game, by all means play it, but don't extrapolate recent history.
1: <laughs> Do you know? It's just, necessarily it's- it could it could continue, but there are two there are two frames. You're not talking off air about the base effect, right? Depending on where you want to start, you can make any case you want. Yep. Just make sure if you're going to extrapolate that, you're choosing the right base because if you get that bit wrong. I, I, I mentioned Berkshire. It's up a th- 33% over the last 12 months, right? Yeah. Now, <laughs> you know, if you want to offer me that over the next 15 years, I'll take it. I'll, I will sign here. If you're going to give it to me, give me the money. I know you know, we all know it's not going to be a 33% per year gainer, right? Yeah. It's just not. And so yeah. using that saying, well, it's going really well. I guess it'll keep going well. It's like, well... That's just asking for trouble. It's just not going to happen. It can't happen. Yeah.
0: Now Buffett, Buffett actually talks about it a lot, and so he'll yeah. he'll talk about he the, book, the book value, right? of <laughs> yeah, Berkshire. Yeah. yeah. And it's I think it's twenty percent compound over the fifty-five
1: I mean, odd that's years. Now, probably nineteen now because it's slowing <laughs> down. But yeah, exactly right.
0: And he has said for at least the last fifteen years, like it's going to yeah. get lower. It's going to get lower. Yeah. And and the reason he can say that so confidently, again, let's let's just do an exercise in logic and reason here. And I made this point before. Mm. Bring out a spreadsheet, okay. Take an average property. I just use Sydney for the sake of it, right? You know, the average the average property in Sydney is one point two million, and let's grow it at seven percent per year. Just push it forward, right? Now we know that wages are growing at at best three percent, okay? Um, and let's push that forward. Now you you don't you don't need to be a a, a computer to realize that those lines are going to get further and further and further apart. Now we can argue. As to yeah. at what point things break. Yeah. But it's just like it, it, when, what is it? Is is it when houses are, they're already at 14 times average incomes now in our parents' generation back of the boomers were paying three to four times income. So yeah, that's right. You know? Okay. And a lot of people argue, me included sort of, well, oh, gosh, can't go up forever. And yet here we are at 14. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right. Okay. Exactly, okay. Yeah. But, but, but remember that the argument gets stronger the longer it, it, it mm-hmm. remains um, in, pla- in in the sense that, okay, right, right, right. 20 times? No, okay, still not convinced? 50 times? No, okay, no. One million times. I mean, I, again, I, I don't know where the exact point is. No one can know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but rationally, there is a point in which, in fact, if you push it f- forward high enough, the value of Sydney real estate becomes eclipses global GDP. (laughs) That's right. So, so you tell me there, there is, there is, it is, it is literally a mathematical game of chicken that, that you're playing here. And, and and look, egg could be well on my face because we could, you could look back in 10 years time and it goes, well, turns out that it actually did get to 20 times income before everything collapsed in a heap. And I just happened to make a fortune along the way. I was like, okay, that's, that's good. But it is a game of chicken and, and, just, just be aware of what, what game you are playing there. You need to have extremely high levels of confidence that people's ability, capacity to buy, lenders capacity, willingness to lend, um, interest rates, uh, flexibility around all of that, uh, allowing these, these uh, trajectories to continue, all need to be in place. And if they're not, there's only one thing that's gonna correct, right? And I'm not saying it's the end of the world, but it sure as a hell isn't you know, doubling every seven years. And, and then you are, here's my other point, right? So it's like, let's say that nothing goes wrong. There's no, there's no collapse, there's no correction, or whatever, what we, whatever you wanna call it. And that you, we just muddle ahead. And in 10 years time, prices are pretty much inflation adjusted where they are now. Well, well done. You got a really, really ordinary return for a hell of a amount of risk. A hell of a, a, a very significant amount of risk. You got your 1% gross nominal yield. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. It seems like it seems like if everything goes okay may, and maybe maybe it, maybe we do get 3 4% from here. Add that to my yield, I get 4 5 6% nominal returns over a 10-year period. Yep. Okay. I mean i'm 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 not doing cartwheels at that point and 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 if and if it's again the asymmetry here if it's yeah. if it's not that, if it's not that, then you're in maybe it goes down ten percent on a leveraged yeah. investment your entire equity could be wiped out, you could be down to zero right if you if you're leveraged nine um ten to one well or five to one as most people tend to sort of be so just just contrast that the upside with the downside here. And I, I just feel as though there's too much religious faith in, in, in property investors that's not grounded in, in any kind of reason. And I'm going to shut up at this
1: point. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm i not going to disagree with you. Um, I, I will say I don't expect a, a, an eternal or everlasting fall in property prices. So I think the, the wipeout scenario, in my view, and you may have it from view, which is fine, I don't think the wipeout scenario is very likely. Um, no, it's but-
0: an it's an edge case. I agree. I'm, right, I'm not
1: right. I'm not calling for collapse, but yeah, yeah, you know, it's 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 amongst the possibilities. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, but I do think the the potential for long term returns. It just it just I've said many times the ASX is a subset, a really 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 tiny subset of the biggest and some of the best, the highest X is the best, but the biggest, some of the best businesses on the in the country. If I could if I could invest in the 2,000 best properties and we had an index for those, mm. I might have a different conversation with you about the future for property versus shares. If we said sure. the, the, the PSX or the APX, the Australian Property Exchange, and there was the 2,000 biggest and best properties that had long-term track records and had 100 years of properties of that style doing well, we might have a different conversation. The yep. very, very, very difficult thing about property is by definition, it's the market. Yep. The ASX is never just, I mean, it's the stock market, but it's not the business. We know business profits go up much, much more slowly on average than the ASX's profits or profits of of companies on the ASX, right? We're literally, we're already having done for us, a a, a, you know, the first, second, third pass of best businesses and saying, here's, there's some rubbish on there, by the way, as well. I'm not going to say every- Lots of rubbish. Yeah. But if you think about that and say, hang on, if I could get to the best properties, then maybe I'd have a different view. But when it's the entire market and the entire market, whether it's, repayments or, or, or rent is limited by people's wages and willingness to pay and interest rates. That's, that's kind of all that matters. Those things can't expand much more quickly. And there are really good reasons. To, this is going too long. There are really good reasons why things have accelerated in the last 30, 40 years. Very, very, very good reasonable reasons. Mm-hmm. And second incomes, lower interest rates, uh, higher loan valuation ratios, lower deposit requirements. These things all individually and together have just bumped up the ability for people to borrow more and more poor, money. Poor
0: policy, poor planning.
1: Right. Uh, yeah, all of that kind of stuff. Strong so population you know, growth, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. So th- those things those things matter. But, the, you know, how many of those can be continued into the future? Frankly, poor policy can go for years because yes, you've that's met our politicians. But, um, you know, rates, rates, I mean, they can go back down from now, but you're already paying, you know, kind of pre-rate increase- Prices, second incomes. You can. Kind of can you add a third income? No. Uh, okay. Deposit percentages. Can you? Well, no, we can't do anything with that. Loan lengths can maybe lengthen a little bit. So maybe there's a bit of juice there. Um, we're already paying 30 35 40 percent of our incomes on on repayments. Can they go to fifty? I guess, but at some point, you know. So the Rams yeah. point that's the rubber band, right? We've kind of and these aren't even rubber band things necessarily, by the way. These are just mm. structural changes. But you got to ask yourself, we're now at that level. So those changes have bought this level of pricing. Mm. If pricing is going up that rate, what structural changes happen to push things up? Because if there's no structural changes, you're left with as Rams already said, population growth, GDP, incomes. Okay, a couple of percent. Where's the extra come from? I don't know where you find it. Which is why I would buy property. I'm not a. I'm a. I'm a shares guy by default because I've I've not found better value elsewhere. But I think I said this podcast a few months ago. My wife and I said if if prices fell further this year, they haven't. So you know, if they did, we'd go. Of course, we'd go shopping. And maybe you find it. Maybe you wouldn't. Oh I man, if I, if I could so get yeah. if I
0: could get a four percent yield, yeah, on an investment property where I didn't have to spend a huge amount on maintenance, like it was a yep. you know well yep. constructed, happy day, and, day. and I, I can leverage on that. Exactly,
1: yep. uh, that's the. I'm yeah,
0: not so. against property. I'm just yep. against yep. excess valuations. And likewise, if all of the investments available on the ASX were giving me very ordinary valuations, I wouldn't invest in shares. You know, I go to where the returns correct, correct. are. And this is this is what blows me away. So we have what is that? Something like forty percent of investment loans are negatively geared. So we we had we had before the discussion around oh well, I'm getting a one percent yield. The rest has to be made up in growth. There are people on negative. A lot of people on <laughs> negatively years. So so from a cash flow perspective, each year that goes by, I'm just hemorrhaging cash. More money to the agent. More money to maintenance. More money to the bank. It's like I'm. I'm not getting anything out of this. I'm going to make myself feel good so I'm paying less tax because I'm making less money. That's why I'm paying less tax. But it's okay <laughs> and all come good in the end. It's like, well, this, you're under a scenario here where again, forget a property crash, forget a correction, forget even a slight dip. If things just go up, I, I forget exactly how, well, depends on, how leveraged yeah. you are and yeah. the rest of it the but you, there are, sure. is there are a lot of people who are going to find even 2 or 3% annual annual compound capital growth in their portfolios are still going to leave them with a loss a leveraged loss mm. and that is that is pure madness so what what i fully expect actually I had a conversation with Matt Barry from Freelancer recently <laughs> massive property bear he's got a oh you,
1: no google I um, loved it
0: Oh, massive love in, massive love in. Um, uh, he's an interesting cat, um, but but <laughs> anyway, uh, YouTube uh, SMH this 2050 Summit. He gave the keynote address. I've mentioned this before. Okay. It's a good, it's a good chat. But I made the point to him. I said, listen, we've got to be careful because we're just going to like be in a massive echo chamber here. The thing that you need to be aware of is, even though rationally a lot of these things can be questionable, I fully expect we, we are we are in territory now, which I would got, was famous, made famous in the, the GFC of too big to fail. Mm. And I think we're too big to fail when it comes to Aussie property now. Like no government is going to let this thing collapse willingly. Yeah, so totally. so this is what, here's my prediction. Um, you will be able to increasingly draw on your super to get a house. You will see increasing uh, stimulus in things like first home owner grants. You will see um, uh, banks start to roll out 40, 50 year mortgages. You will everything that can be. Or you will see. We have already seen the fastest pace of inflation growth in, uh, in uh, population growth in history. Recently, just this yeah. morning, actually, I saw some numbers sort of come out. We're adding one and a half Canberra's every year, right? You know my
1: thoughts on that, but yes,
0: you know, in madness, <laughs> yeah. In yeah. madness, yeah. Yeah. and and, yeah. and and. But it, we we kind of have to to keep everything sort of going, and so this is. I, I think if you let. The market do its thing and we just stopped tinkering, it mm-hmm. would sort itself out pretty quickly. But I Correct. wouldn't be Correct. surprised that we will do everything we can to make it go on and on and on. And each, each day where, where something doesn't <laughs>
1: break, it just increases the chance that it will break in the future, in my view. And it's, yeah. it's really depressing stuff. But yeah. I, I, I don't want to make this any longer. Other than to say, I, I'm never quite as binary as you. I, I think it needs to break. I think there's, there's, there's plenty of room in between there for a managed... I managed right-sizing of, of the economy in, in whatever context we're looking at. Whether the econ- whether the politicians have the guts to actually do that is is the bigger question. Which is why it makes it more likely it breaks eventually. Because the further you kick the can down the road, the more the consequences are if you don't deal with the underlying situation. I think we could, with some serious people in Canberra right now, we can absolutely avoid a breaking of housing. Yeah. But the longer they ignore that, either someone eventually has to deliberately. Break it, or it breaks by itself, and I think. So I guess just want to add that as a. Oh, uh, I'm glad you. I'm glad you did.
0: Um, but here's the thing, though, right? Let's assume we, we we don't have a a break, so to speak. Mm. But the, the the only way to square that circle is a very, very prolonged period of sideways, yeah, exactly. prices. Yeah. Now, for people who are getting or, or, into a, the- or a
1: longer period of slower growth, or some something there. But yes, you're right.
0: Very sideways to extremely slow growth. Now, if you're making an... In- now, again, I want to be clear. It's very different if you're buying a house to live in. It's very there's okay. utility there. Okay, so I'm mm-hmm. I'm talking purely from an investment standpoint. But if you are making Important. an investment on a negative, or virtually zero, or extremely low <laughs> yield, mm-hmm. you have to you have to f- look into the mirror and reconcile this. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm really I'm not I'm not I'm not. I just want to be careful here. Please don't. Do You do you. I don't care. It's your money, right? But just be be very careful in your assumptions and understand that as any investment, whether it's in shares or property, Mm -hmm. always consider the bear case. So this is what I think is going to happen. We can have an argument, debate, whatever, whether that's right or wrong. But consider the other side of the story and just make sure you're comfortable with that. You don't want to be in a situation where if you're right, I get what? one or 2% real returns after inflation over the next 10 years. But if I'm wrong, I'm left holding the, I'm, I'm basically, a, you know, a debt slave for the next 40 years <laughs> or worse. I'm having my entire equity wiped out in the space of six months. Like that's, that is just like the most awful asymmetrical risk proposition that I that I can imagine. And and too many of us, I feel, have, have been lulled into a false sense of security from decades of unusual growth.
1: On that cheery note... <laughs> Mate, you have you have oh god, you have powered through this episode. Thank you for uh, again. We asked about property at the end. We asked about Tim Gurner at the end yesterday. Oh, I think fired I me think, up. Fired me I think up. I've stumbled on the on the perfect formula, Listen, So we'll see what happens next week. I'll see if I can uh, come up with something else, mate. No, in all seriousness, thank you for for jumping out of your sick bed and getting the podcast. No, I'm feeling, I'm, much I'm feeling better. Out. Yeah, I you. know our listeners will also appreciate it very, very much. Uh, will you come back next Friday? Yes. Good Lord absolutely, willing. Absolutely. Yes. Yep. In that case, until next Friday. Full on. Cheers.
0: The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691.